0: Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear his word today. Welcome back, Bible Center family. It's so good to have you here. Those of you who are Part of the Bible Center Church family in person. Those of you joining us online or on TV, uh, it's so awesome to have you with us. Thanks for being here. If you're new to us, I'm Matt. I'm the lead pastor. We like to say that we're a family expecting guests. And so if you came as a guest, if you're joining us as a guest, it's our desire uh, that you will leave as a friend. So let us know how we can help you with that. Uh, for those of you here, I'll be down front after the service. I'd love to pray with you if you have a prayer request. I'd uh, love to answer questions about help you get better connected here. Please take your Bible or your Bible app and open with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm 67. Psalm 67 is where we'll be. The words will also be on the screen. Today we begin a three-week series entitled Start Again. Start Again. Think with me about those two words, start again. Right now, children are going back to school Again, We hope they stay there. College students are moving into dormitories and making friends again. Evening bonfires are being kindled again. Lovers are dating again. Restaurants are busy again. And adventurers are traveling again. You might try this later today in your Google search bar. If you, try to, if you type the three words, how to start, it may be interesting to see what comes up. For me, the following came up, how to start a business in West Virginia, how to start a podcast, a blog, a conversation, a YouTube channel, a dead lawnmower, I must have Googled that in the past, I guess, a family or an IRA, in this series, we're going to talk about how to start again as a church family. Essentially, how to start the flywheel again. And yes, we want to be cautious. We want to make sure that we're taking the, uh, the proper measures here. That's why we have our seats spaced like we do. And, and we're doing some other things to try to keep folks safe. Uh, but as we start again in the fall, which is typically the time that churches kind of ramp back up again for the fall season, we want to ask the question, what does it mean... For us to start again, let me encourage you to download the app. If you haven't yet downloaded the Bible Center app, you can find it uh, wherever you get your other apps. There's a number of notes there. All the sermons have pages of notes, uh, but there's a lot more on there than just the sermon announcements, things, ways that you can get connected and connect with us. Today's message is like most of my messages, I'm speaking primarily to Christians. Uh, probably 95% of my messages here in this pulpit are to the congregation, to our parishioners about how we can grow in our faith. But like every weekend, we want to invite you, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, maybe you've got questions, maybe you're, uh, you're somewhat skeptical, we're so glad you're here as well. We want this to be a safe place for you and uh, always want to encourage you to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and thank you for being with us today. Let's go ahead and dive into Psalm 67, verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest, God. Our God blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Here's today's big idea. This is the one thing that I want you to know. The one truth I'd like you to remember. Coming to church is a bigger deal than you may think. Coming to church is a bigger deal than you may think. Now, in Psalm 67, if you have your Bible in front of you, hard copy or electronic copy, you might scroll to the top and you'll see that it has a a title or a superscription. And you'll see that Psalm 67 was given to the people of God for their corporate worship services. In other words, they were to sing this psalm. They were to pray this psalm when they came together to church, so to speak. Actually, all the Psalms were given for the people of God when we gather. Uh, But this Psalm, Psalm 67 in particular, gives us the philosophy about why we gather as a church. And so that's why we come back to our big idea. Coming to church is a bigger deal than you may think. As I've studied it this week and and ready to to share with you what I've learned from Psalm 67, uh, it has touched my heart, and my prayer is that it'll touch your heart as well. In the next few minutes, I want to give you four reasons why coming to church is such a big, big deal. Let's look at the, the text. The first reason is simply this. Why is coming to church a big deal? Church is where we experience the presence of God together. It's where we experience the presence of God together. We see this in verse one. The writer says, May God be gracious to us and make his face shine on us. Church is where we experience the presence of God together. Now, if you've been in church for any length of time or you've grown up around the Bible, this verse may sound familiar to you because it's actually made up of two different parts of two of the most famous verses in the entire Old Testament. One of those was the prayer that Aaron, or the blessing that Aaron, Moses' brother, gave to the people of God in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You see elements of that right here in Psalm 67, 1. The other verse that is used to make up this psalm is Genesis 12, 2 and 3, the great promise that God gave to Abraham. Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will give a curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. One thing that stuck out to me this week was the word us. Over and over again, we see the word us mentioned here in Psalm 67. This is not a me psalm. This is an us psalm. In other words, this psalm wasn't written about how you can have a personal relationship, worship relationship with Jesus, although that's important. This particular psalm is about how we together can have a relationship with Jesus. We also notice that they're praying that God would be gracious to them. They were essentially praying for the presence of God, the face of God, to be known to them in their worship services. Now, we don't want to go down very many rabbit trails for the sake of time, but I'm going to go down one just quickly. If you're taking notes, there's something for us to remember here about the word grace. Uh, One thing you can write is this this equation. Grace equals God's self-giving. Grace equals God's self-giving. So the psalmist is praying, God, make your your ways be gracious to us. How did he pray that God would be gracious to them? That he would make his presence known to them. You see, the gift of God, the gift of grace is God himself. We sometimes like to define grace as a gift. Well, grace is a gift. Well, what is the gift? The gift is God himself. It's his presence, his life. Certainly mercy is part of grace, but it's not grace. Forgiveness is part of grace, but it's not grace. Grace is actually God's self-giving. In the Old Testament, when God would come down to the tabernacle or the temple and meet with his people, In his presence, the Old Testament writers describe that over and over again as grace. In the New Testament, it's called the grace of God when God shows up as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. That's why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all say this is grace. This is why the apostles called it grace when the Spirit of God descended on the church on the day of Pentecost. It was the presence of God meeting with the church. For a, for a, fuller, for a more full richer study of this, I would encourage you to read Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is all about the grace of God. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 1 and 2 are all about the grace of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, halfway through the chapter, Paul says that grace is defined as having access to God. So that's just another way of saying grace is God's self-giving. Back to our psalm. So the psalmist is praying that they, we, the people of God, could experience the presence of God together in the church. I'll ask you a question. Tomorrow when you go to work as a Christian, will the presence of God go with you? Absolutely. The presence of God will go with you. Matthew 28, 20. Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So there is no way, nowhere that we can escape the presence of God. Uh, Centuries ago, the Latin term for this was Corum Deo or Corum Christo, which meant that we live in the presence of God. The Christian mystics like to say that God and the saints were always just beyond the veil. In other words, heaven and the saints, it's not a million miles away but just beyond the veil in the spiritual realm. However, even though we all personally, as solo runners in the race, experience the grace of God personally, according to the Bible, we experience the grace of God in a deeper, richer way when we gather as the church. That's why church is such a... A big deal. It was a big deal to our family before I was a pastor, and I pray it's a big deal to our family long after I'm a pastor one day. We see this in Matthew 18, verse 20. Jesus said, For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. When I was a new Christian, this verse really confused me because I was like, Does that mean God's not with me unless I'm with like two or three other Christians? Well, of course not. I've already quoted the verses about how Jesus said, I'm with you individually. But what Jesus is saying here in context is, I am with the people of God in a deeper way when they gather together. Probably the the quintessential verse for this is Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22. In context, a little context, the writer of Hebrews is writing to New Testament first century Christians who were being persecuted for their faith. Uh, If they were to gather and worship Jesus as Lord, they would be considered criminals to Caesar. Now, they could worship Jesus just as long as they didn't say Jesus was Lord and worship him more than they worshiped Caesar. So in many ways, there's some parallels between what these Hebrew believers were experiencing in the first century compared to what our Afghan brothers and sisters, Afghani brothers and sisters, are experiencing in 2021. Right right now, there are believers on the other side of the world who are facing a choice. If they continue to confess Christ and continue to meet together as the church, they could lose their life or worse. And there are some things worse than losing your life. And they know that. I mean, right now, as we sit here in America, they they are faced with that. And so Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, whoever he or she may be, is writing to this early church and saying, hey, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It's in this context that we get this verse. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in a joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn." whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Before we turn the slide, let's go back. Before we turn the slide, what he's doing here is describing for us what's taking place more than what meets the eye. The old Transformers slogan. There is more taking place this morning than what meets the eye. There is very eternal things happening when the church gathers together as the family of God. According to this passage, we're not alone. The angels join us. God joins us. Even the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That's the saints who have gone on. Other Christians who've gone on, followers of Jesus. You say, Matt, what does that mean? That's not what this sermon is about, and I'm not going to pretend to describe it. But there's more than what meets the eye taking place right here. Jesus joins us in communion. We we are reminded that the blood of Christ is ever present with us. And let's go on to the rest of this passage. See to it then that you do not refuse him who speaks. That's not the preacher he's talking about. If they did not escape and they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, you didn't just come to church this morning. You came to a kingdom that shall not be shaken. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is a really big deal, which is why C.S. Lewis, one of my favorites, writes this, about, specifically about communion, but he's talking about the context of Hebrews 12. I don't know and certain and can't imagine What the disciples understood our Lord to mean. His body still unbroken and his blood unshed. He handed them the bread and the wine saying they were his body and his blood. Yet I find no difficulty in believing that the veil between the worlds is nowhere else so thin and permeable to divine operation. Here in communion a hand from the hidden country touches not only my soul but my body. Here is big medicine and strong magic, he calls it. The command, after all, was take and eat, not take and understand. We don't celebrate communion here at Bible Center weekly because we love communion. I've been asked a few times, Pastor, why do you love communion so much? I really don't love communion. We celebrate the communion at Bible Center because we love the gospel. You see, communion was never about communion. It's about remembering and rehearsing the gospel together every week as a church family. Church is where we experience the presence of God together in a way that we cannot experience it by ourselves. Why is church such a big deal? Number two, church is where we praise God together. Church is where we praise God, together. We see this in verses 3 and 5. The writer says, May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. And verse 5 is identical. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. Church is where we praise God together. I'll ask you a question. Can we praise the Lord by ourselves when we're not in church? Can we do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Some of you praise the Lord in your car. I've seen you, right? Some of us praise the Lord really loudly in the shower because that's the only place we should be that loud is in the shower. We can praise the Lord out on the deer stand this fall. You can praise the Lord when you're out for a drive or out for a walk. Praising the Lord isn't something we have to wait until we come to church to do. But there's something special about when we gather together as the people of God to praise the Lord. The word worship comes from our English word worth Essentially what we're doing is ascribing worth to someone who's bigger and better than us. As a side note, interesting for us to remember, the Bible never gives us any instruction on the style of our music when we gather together. You ever notice that? It never tells us you have to use this style of music when you come together. Our most fruitful missionaries tell us that praise and worship often looks different in different cultures and countries around the world. When people come to know Jesus, they praise the Lord in a form congruent with their own culture. It's a beautiful thing to hear. So that's why we see in Revelation chapter 5, at verse 9, in Revelation chapter 7, in verse 9, whenever we gather together one day in the new heaven and the new earth, the people of God from every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation are going to gather to praise the Lord. There's going to be music that you liked on earth sung there, and there's going to be music that you didn't like when you gather that is sung there. It's a beautiful thing. I love this discussion here at Bible Center. We recognize uh, that there are more forms or styles of worship music sung here than what we typically, uh, than what we would have the ability to celebrate in a service. Some of you would prefer maybe a southern gospel service. Some of you may prefer a Christian rap service. You may prefer a high church style service or a hymn only style service. And at some point we acknowledge that we'll try to be as broad as we can, but there's no way one church can have the resources to meet all of those preferences. And so I want to brag on you this morning and thank God for you for the way that you set aside your preferences for the sake of the family. That's a sign of maturity, according to Romans 14 and 15. One time someone came to Francis Chan and asked him, well, or said, Pastor Chan, I don't really, uh, I didn't really like the worship service this morning. And he said, well, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. I like that. Church is where we praise God together. It's where we experience the presence of God together. But number three, church is how we carry out the plan of God together. Again we see this in Psalm 67. Church is how we carry out the plan of God together. Look with me in verse 2. The writer says, "So that your ways may be known on earth and your salvation among all nations." Interesting. We've already talked about the Godward aspect of worship, but now he's talking about this missional aspect of worship. Verse 4 He goes on, may the nations be glad and sing for joy. May you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. Church is how we carry out the plan of God together. There was a worship component to church. There was a discipleship component to church. And now we see there's a missional component to church. The people of God in the Old Testament were very aware that they did not exist for themselves. They existed for a people who were far from God, those who were not yet the people of God. Here's another question that sometimes we discuss here as a church. Which is more important, mission or worship? We could say evangelism or worship. Which is more important I would argue that the Scriptures teach that worship is ultimate. Worship is more important. It is eternal. Evangelism isn't something we're going to be doing for eternity. But mission exists in this life, and evangelism exists in this life, because there are places in the world where worship doesn't. Since there are people in our own backyard and around the world who haven't yet experienced the joy of worshiping God, Jesus gives us the great commission to take the gospel across the street and across the world. Worship, we'll be able to do that much better in heaven. But evangelism is something we won't be able to do any longer in heaven. Mission is not a program in the church. Or as we say for some reason here in West Virginia, missions, we put an S on it for some reason. It's kind of like how we pronounce Kroger's. It's actually Kroger, but we pronounce it Kroger's for some reason. I do the same thing. Uh, That's just, that's free. Mission or missions is not a program in the church. Rather, missions is the program of the church. When you come to church and you come to worship and belong and serve and give and join, you are saying with your life, I am committed to carry out a plan bigger than me. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how popular you are, how much influence you have in our region, there is not one of us who can carry out the plan of God alone. We need one another. We need our diversity of gifts. We need our diversity of perspectives. We need just flat out people who are different than one another because we can do more together, not unanimously, but in a unified way with the same goal. One of my pastor friends says that his goal with his church family is to rob hell and fill heaven. I like that. That's why we invest so much as a church in global missions. That's why we invest so much in union mission and mountain mission and Crossroads Crisis Pregnancy Care Center and Fellowship of Christian Athletes. That's why we invest so much in our Maker center on the west side. That's why we focus so much on becoming everyday missionaries in our discipleship groups. Church is how we carry out the plan of God together. What's happening around us is eternal and it echoes far beyond our lives. Number four, and lastly, I said I have four reasons why church is a big deal. Lastly, church is where we practice for eternity together. Church is where we practice for eternity together. The writer ends this psalm in verses six and seven by giving us a prophecy, a vision of the future. Most Bible scholars believe that verse 6 and 7 is actually a prophecy. It's actually a vision of the future. Let's read that together. The land yields its harvest. Talking about a future day. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. J. Vernon McGee comments that this psalm reminds us of a converted world in the future. A renovated world, a world in which God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. The curse will be removed and we will be able to sing songs of praise. This is the heart behind Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Some of us grew up hearing this verse quite a bit. Uh, Some of our parents used it. With us, and if you're new to church and you've not heard this this verse before, let it bless you for the first time. But it's often used as a reason why, and I think it's a good reason why. As we talked a moment ago about our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, why we need to continue to meet together, not to quit. But let's let's notice an emphasis that we sometimes miss. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I have never really noticed it until this week. The aspect here of drawing near is, is that the day of the Lord is drawing near. In other words, look to the future. Church is practice for heaven. Church is where we practice for eternity. Church isn't ritual. It's not supposed to be ritual. It's supposed to be rehearsal. If we're faithful to the gathered church, it's when we form habits that shape our lives that will go with us into eternity. We could say that heaven is practice for the resurrection. One theologian calls worship, the worship gathering, an echo from the future. It's a foretaste of something that we'll see come to fruition when Christ returns and all things are made new. Here's what I want you to do today. Here's the main encouragement today. The one thing I want you to take away and apply to your life it's simply this connect with church again. Connect with church again. And this series, this three-week series, Start Again, I want to I encourage you, the best I know how to challenge you, ask you, beg you, connect with church again. Now, if your health prevents you from joining us, especially with what's taking place and what we're seeing in the news, please, if you're in the vulnerable category, by all means, please, you do what's best for you. I talked to one of our dear saints this week who just said, man, I would love, I would love, to be able to come back together just as soon as I feel like it's safe. And I told that dear saint, get a plan. Make a plan. It kind of helps your mental health, I think, to have a plan. When that day comes, what's your first step going to be? What's your second step going to be? So have a plan. There is no guilt. I am not trying to heap guilt. But if you can come back, let me encourage you to come back. If you can come back, let me encourage you to come back. For those of you who are already back in person, I want to challenge you to jump into a group. We have a groups wall back here on our right. All the groups are listed in our app and on our website. We'd love to help you connect into a group. We'd love to help you connect to a place to serve. One of my dear friends just yesterday was talking about how the, the need for service has is, is never been greater in Bible Center. We have all these new folks coming to us and families and ministries. And, and yet it seems like the, the opposite is true about serving. We don't want to be consumer Christians. We want to dive in and jump in and serve There's a way you can do that on the app as well. Jump in, connect with church again, whatever that means for you. As one of your pastors, I want to share my heart to end this message. I am so excited for what the Lord is doing among us. I'm so thankful for, again, the kind of people God is bringing our way. I'm so thankful for the influence we have online and on TV. I was just told last Sunday that there are 5,000 cable boxes every Sunday that connect with us uh, around our region, all around the state of West Virginia. Now, that doesn't include multiple people in front of the cable box or, like in my neighborhood as a kid, those families who borrowed cable from their neighbors, right? doesn't include all those people, uh, but, but they're... You're having an influence. What God is doing around our campus, just drive around our campus and see the improvements that the Lord has, has made possible, the ball fields and all that's taking place out there to my right. I loved yesterday, we had a discipleship training group for those who are leading discipleship groups and they came here yesterday morning and came or sat around this auditorium and we, I just sat in the back. My heart was so blessed, I had to leave just a little bit early. I was my heart was so full to see us recapturing this apostolic vision of making disciples who make disciples. It's happening. It's happening. But as we leave, I want to leave you with a pebble in your shoe. I love you, but I want to leave you with a pebble in your shoe. Some of you have gotten way too comfortable with pajamas and your bed on Sunday morning. You'll go to ball games. You'll go out to eat. You'll travel on vacations, even around America and abroad. But yet, church has somehow fallen way down on the priority list. I love you, but I want to challenge you. If it's not this church, find a church near you. Plug into a place, a family of believers. I love you, but some of you have way too much going on. Way too much. You've got so many things going on that, man, when it comes to kids and sports and school and other boards and committees that you're a part of, your church has just kind of become one of those things you might do once out of every three weeks, once out of every four weeks. How in the world can we have a vision of the local church that God has given us in the New Testament and put it below everything else? I was reminded last week about how important church is. my son. Caden, nine years old, got to meet one of our members, Jerry Fox. Jerry is, I believe in his 80s. We'll say he's about 10 times Caden's age. And yesterday, or last Sunday, Caden got to meet Jerry Fox. Now, some of you who've been a Bible center a long time, you know Jerry has a lot of jokes. And he's always looking for new people to share those jokes with. Yes, last Sunday, he found somebody. It was like fresh meat. And he looked at Caden and he's like, We've never met before. Caden's like, no, sir. You could just see the wheels turning in Jerry's mind. And here he is, 10 times his age. And this morning, he comes to the, the 1115 service. This morning, he's planning to bring that little trick he does. Anyway, he, Caden's all excited, right? He's met Jerry. And I thought, that's, that's why we need the church. It's not a sermon. You can get sermons better than this on TV or online anywhere. I'll give you the websites. We need one another. That's why we need the church. And maybe you have come in here week after week, or maybe you've tuned in online week after week, and your heart has started to grow cold, and Satan has convinced you, well, I'm not getting anything out of it. And it's true, certainly we could always do better. But could it also be true that it's you? Jesus said, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. And the noise of so much other busyness, so easily crowds out the noise the sweet gentle voice of God's word connect with church again it's where we experience the presence of God together it's where we carry out the plan of God together it's where we praise God together it's where we practice for eternity together why is church such a big deal? Because. Coming to church is a bigger deal than you may think. It points us to a reality beyond what we can see. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media.